Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. He is risen. We can do better. He is risen. He is risen now, if, if some of you are, are hearing this, you're like, thank goodness we're going old school this morning. And some of you are like, what's going on in here? Uh, this is something that's been around for centuries. It's called the Paschal Greeting. Think about it this way. If I were to say, O-H, see how quickly you did that? <laughs> Let's try it again. He is risen. That's good. This morning, that, that, that saying, it's been around for a long time. It actually stems from another account of Jesus' resurrection that we find in the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke's Gospel, he tells of, of two of Jesus' disciples that, that were, uh, they were on a road and they were lead, that led to a place called Emmaus. And while they were on that trip, they encountered Jesus. They didn't recognize him at first, but soon he revealed uh, himself to them, and, and they when they finally joined back up with the rest of the disciples, their words to the other disciples were, the Lord has risen indeed. They're basically saying, Jesus has risen. No, really, it's true. He is alive. The resurrection is, is what this day is all about. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> and it's more than just a part of our faith, it's at the very heart of our faith. Because without the resurrection, the hope that we have as Christians, that hope we hold to is empty. But there's only one thing that's empty today. I bet you know what it is. It's the tomb. 
Today, the threat of death is empty. The, the fear of death is erased because he is risen. Now, in our culture, there are several things that are commonly associated with Easter, and probably the most recognizable is the egg. I know what you're thinking. That couldn't possibly be true, but I'm telling you, uh, from, a, from a graphic design standpoint, when we are working to create things for the church, the number one item that becomes available is the egg. Now, some would try to go to great lengths to, to associate the egg and have some sort of a spiritual lesson. I'm not going to do that today because in the actual story of the resurrection of Christ, we don't find an egg. There's not one there. But we do find is a cross and an empty tomb. The cross, another very recognizable thing associated with Easter, gets a lot more attention year-round. Some of you may very well be wearing a cross necklace this morning around your neck, or maybe you have a shirt at home or you're wearing one now that has a cross emblazoned on it, or perhaps you have a vinyl stick-on on the back of your car with a cross. We hang them on our walls, we hang them in our worship centers, and some of us have them tattooed on our skin. Crosses today are seen as a thing of beauty. They are admired for what they represent. But this would not have been the case 2,000 years ago. In those days, the cross was repulsive. And it was offensive because it was an instrument of horrific torture and death. The way, the way that we view the cross today would be completely bizarre to those that lived in Jesus' day, it would be like hanging a small electric chair around your neck or putting one up on your wall. I mean, that would just be weird. It would seem repulsive and offensive to many, hopefully. <laughs> but this is part of what makes the resurrection so important and ultimately very beautiful. What was once considered repulsive has now become Beautiful. The resurrection took something that was cruel and harsh and ugly and made it beautiful. Because the resurrection is about redemption. And the resurrection is about transformation. Now, it doesn't make the cross any less barbaric or soften its edges. But the resurrection is something that is so powerful and so all-encompassing that it takes this symbol of death and transforms it into a symbol of life and salvation. Now, a third recognizable element from Easter is, of course, the empty tomb. The tomb is a place that symbolizes death for us. Tombs were very common uh, back in those days, not so common today, but scattered across the globe, we have graveyards. And graveyards are where we place the physical bodies of countless people over the centuries these are the tombs of our day. The empty tomb, however, is a game changer. It, yes, a game changer. It's a game changer because it means that what happened on the cross was not the end. It's a game changer because it means that death for us does not have to be the end. It's a game changer because once the tomb was found to be empty, it forced some to concoct a story to try to cover it up, and it, and it gave others the jolt that they needed to live like death had no hold on them anymore. 
what had to happen to Jesus on the cross would not have been a surprise. Jesus told his, his disciples that the Son of Man would have to suffer many things and that he would be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and in three days rise again. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 32, it says that he said this very plainly. And that last sentence is my favorite part because it tells us that, that Jesus didn't wrap this up in some sort of a, a parable. He didn't sugarcoat the message. He told his disciples that he would have to die. But he also told them that he would rise again. The empty tomb is vital because it proves what Jesus said, and it proves that his sacrifice for our sins accomplished its work. What exactly does that mean? Well, it means that when Jesus took his sins upon, took our sins upon himself, and he was sacrificed, the weight of that sin in death could not hold him. It did not hold him. And this is so very important. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You catch that? If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. And otherwise, if Christ did not rise from the dead, what's the point? What's the point? And he says, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They've died for nothing. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Woe is us. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Church, the empty tomb is hope. The tomb and the grave is designed to hold us for eternity, but the resurrection destroys that grave. Jesus' resurrection is proof that all Jesus did and all that Jesus said was true. Jesus made this claim. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, that makes no sense outside of the resurrection. But with the empty tomb, these words of Jesus become something that we can claim. Now, there's little question over the course of history to the validity of the person of Jesus Christ. Both biblical scholars and non-biblical scholars and history books have written since the first century of him even pointing to the disruption and the trouble that he was causing and how he, how he messed with the Roman government. This is written in a number of different places. Multiple historic writings point to his work. They point to the impact that he made, the changes that were brought about, not just in the life of Christians, but also in the entire Jewish religion and in all of society. One man made this impact. Experts would call this positive evidence from a hostile source. This means that if a source admits a fact that is definitely not in its favor, then the fact is genuine. History proves something that something monumental and something transformative took place in the world, but most evidently in the followers of Jesus Christ. 
But we have to understand that that transformation came with a cost. We know from history that those who were Jesus' disciples, the 11 that remained after Judas killed himself because he betrayed Jesus, those 11 suffered incredible persecution and rejection. These were the same 11 that in between Jesus' arrest in the garden, which led to his death and led to his resurrection, they scattered. <laughs> they went into hiding. They denied they even knew the guy. But after the resurrection, something changed. They went from being afraid to being emboldened. They suffered cruel punishment. They were stoned to death. Peter was crucified as well, but he refused to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus, so he was crucified upside down. Evidence both outside and inside the Bible tells us that all of Jesus' disciples, with the exception of John, were killed because of what they believed in and refused to deny, namely that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, it's true that many people have died over the course of history because of what they believed in, but these 11 and many after them gave their lives because of what they saw. And they refused to deny that Jesus had risen from the grave. They refused to deny that truth. They refused to deny what had completely changed their lives, what had completely transformed their lives. They refused to deny what others worked so hard to cover up, and then they died for it. Their refusal to deny that Jesus rose from the grave did not give them any fame. It did not give them any power. It did not give them any status. It cost them everything. Something changed in between Friday night and Sunday morning. Peter, a disciple of Jesus, who had just days before Jesus' arrest, he had professed his undying and unwavering support for Jesus. Like he was all in for Jesus. This same guy, did just that on the night of Jesus' arrest. Turned his back on him. Denied he even knew who he was. Three times. But after the resurrection, Peter preached to thousands. The same guy who huddled around a charcoal fire in the midst of the shadows while Jesus was being questioned and beat and mocked and ridiculed, saying, I don't, I don't know who the guy, you got the wrong person. It is not me. Just a few days later, he stood in front of thousands and said, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He is exactly who he said he was. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, we read that those who saw what was happening with Peter and John, they said, listen, these are just normal guys. They were uneducated, common men, and they were blown away. It says they were astonished by what they saw and what they heard, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The beauty, the beauty of the resurrection is the transformative power that it brings. Peter and John were radically changed by it. Countless people throughout the course of history 
have been changed by it, and hear me this morning, you can be changed by it. Because the moment the resurrection comes into our lives, we are allowing ourselves to be crucified with Christ. And then from then on, every other moment we experience is, is taken from being something that is stuck, uh, something that is bound by the things of this earth and this life to being free and to being prepared for the things of heaven. The healing power and, and the forgiveness of the resurrection reach to every day of your future. But listen, it also reaches to every day of your past. It starts with our belief in the cross. And that means that we believe that Jesus died for our sins. That he willingly and, and humbly took on our past and our present, and our future. And he carried that burden for us to the grave. And he took what was ugly and he made it beautiful. Our greatest failures, our greatest regrets, our biggest mistakes, and our insufficiencies are transformed completely. Do you hear me this morning? In the resurrection, God forgives and redeems your worst moments and your deepest regrets are transformed from something that just brings unbearable shame into your life to a shout of God's amazing grace and His mercy and His love. Watchman Nee once wrote, Our old history ends with the cross. Our new history begins with the resurrection. All that Jesus took with him to the cross was no longer with him in the resurrection. You catch that? Because the resurrection makes us new. It, it's a wonderful hope for those of us who die in Christ because the grave is not the end. Death in this life is not the end of the story. The empty tomb proves it. The empty tomb steals us from the grips of death. What hope we have. But the resurrection is not just about the end of our lives. It's about the lives that we live today. The resurrection doesn't just make us a little better. It's not one rung on your ladder of self-improvement. Jesus didn't suffer and die on the cross carrying the old you the mistakes of your past, the regrets of your life, and then rise again in victory just so that you could be a better person. He did it so that we could be transformed. He did it so that you could live free from the chains of sin. He did it in order that we could experience life without the fear of death. He did it so that you could be free from the lie that Satan tells you that there is no hope. In our humanity, there exists the potential for great kindness and generosity. In our humanity, there exists the potential for you to be a really good person. 
But there also exists the potential for you to be greedy and for you to be selfish and for you to experience depravity. But listen to me this morning, church. Because He is risen, the gap between humankind and the very presence of God in our lives has been closed. Because He is risen, the gap between your depravity and God's presence has been closed. Because He is risen, the gap between your sinness, sin and your forgiveness has been closed. Because He is risen, the gap between death and life has been closed. That is why we celebrate this day. It should be for us the most significant part of our faith. It can be for you the most significant part of your faith because the resurrection is not about an egg. <laughs> the resurrection is not about fun songs. The resurrection is not about suits and dresses. The resurrection is not about family dinners and ham. The resurrection is about transformation. The resurrection is about redemption. The resurrection is about taking you from a place of complete loss and death and depravity to a place of presence in the very person of God. And God has invited you to be a part of that resurrection. And by the way, he didn't make it hard. It's not difficult. Bible says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, guess what? You will be saved. Let me say it again because we overcomplicate this a lot. Well, I can't be a Christian. It's just so much required of me. Stop. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Look at that. Do you see why the resurrection is so important? <laughs> but understand this. God's call on your, not, on your life is not that you would just get a little better. <clears throat> God's call on your life it's not that you would just get it under control. God's call in your life is this. Come. Come. Come to the cross and die to your control. Come to the cross and die to your bitterness. Come to the cross and die to your selfishness and to your hatred. Come to the cross and die to the sin that just lingers around you like bad breath. Yeah, that's a gross imagery. <laughs> Come to the cross and let go of the burdens that you have carried for yourself and for others. Come to the cross and die to yourself so that you might gain Christ. This is the way Paul says it. He goes, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow. And to respond to his invitation means to lay down your pride and the weakness of your humanity. 
so that you can be transformed by the resurrection. Let the righteousness of Jesus make you right. Let the holiness of Jesus make you holy. Let the purity of Jesus make you pure. Let the goodness of God make you good. Let the power of the resurrection make you free. The cross was designed, guys, to destroy, and the tomb was designed to hold. But Jesus took that which caused death and made it for life, and he destroyed that which holds and made it to the key to eternity with him. Hmm. I just feel like that should resonate just a wee bit more with us. We people of the cross, we people who claim the name of Christ, look what he's done for us. And most of you that are here today, you know my story. Some of you do not. I'm not going to go into too much of that with you today, but let me just say this. It might be easy to look up here and just assume that I am the way I am have always been the way I am right now, that I've always been on the right path. I mean, you're all, you must have grown up knowing you're going to be a preacher. You must, this must be money. Nope, nope. I will tell you that I have not. I'm just going to leave it at that. Come back sometime. I'll tell the rest of the story. <laughs> but when I look back over my life, there have been multiple instances when, were it not for the grace of God, I would not be where I am today. Whether it's marrying the woman I married or the experiences that I had in my time in service, or the opportunities that I have been given in ministry, or even the invitation to come to this tiny town in Ohio and pastor a church. Each one of those things are part of my story, each one demonstrating how God remained at work, even when I wasn't sure if He was working. There's a picture in the Louvre Museum. The picture's called Checkmate. The devil's sitting on one side. He's kind of chuckling. He figures he's got this one in the bag. And then the guy on the other side kind of putting his head in his hand like this. Kind of looks like he's at a point of desperation, like he, he's about to give up. There was a tour that was going through the Louvre one time, and the group was made up of a, of a bunch of world uh, champion athletes. And in the tour was the world chess champion. I know what you're thinking, that's not an athlete. Don't raise that issue with him. And he comes by, he's walking past the picture, and the tour guys explain to them that, that uh, this was an artist's rendering of somebody who lost a battle with the devil. And so the group moves on to the next painting to see something else, and the world chess champion, he stayed right there. <clears throat> and he just kind of looked at the picture. And soon the group was no longer with him. They had moved on to, to another painting, and in a few moments the tour guide realized that they had lost one, and so he comes back and he finds this world champion chess player standing there just kind of looking at the picture and he goes, hey, hey, you know, we've moved on. Are you coming? And he said, well, I I've been looking at this picture. And the guy said, yeah, it's called Checkmate. You know, the devil's chuckling. The guy lost. He said, yeah, I noticed that. But as I've been standing here, 
I keep looking at the picture and I have a problem with it. And God said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, I, I am a world champion chess player. And, and I've spent my life playing chess. And normal people don't always see what a world champion chess player sees. But when you all walked off, he says, I looked at the devil laughing and I looked at the man in desperation and I noticed something on the chessboard. And I'm telling you, they're either going to have to change the name of the painting or fix the painting. And the guide said, well, why, why are they going to have to do that? And he said, well, you know, I am a world champion chess player. And when I observed the board, I found out that the king has one more move. I am standing here this morning to tell you this. They thought they had Jesus cornered. But he had one more move. They thought that the stone had closed the tomb. But he had one more move. And you may be sitting here today and you're feeling cornered and you are feeling tied down and you are feeling like that you have lost and there is no hope for you, that, that, that who you used to be or maybe even who you are right now is so much, too much for you to ever be set free, that your sin is somehow greater than the forgiveness of God and that this resurrection stuff certainly can't be for you because you are too far gone. And I want you to know that the king has won more move come on church in the fullness of time God sent his son who was born of a woman under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as children and listen to this and because uh, you are his children God has spent this, sent the spirit of his son into your hearts so you can cry Abba Father so you are no longer a slave, you are a child. And if a child, then you are an heir through God. The king has one more move. Don't give up just yet. The transformation that we are talking about, the redemption that we are talking about, all begins with just a prayer. It doesn't end there. In fact, when we pray this prayer, we are saying that we want to live in that resurrection for the rest of our lives. For all of eternity. It means that, that you will receive the gift of forgiveness that Jesus has already given you. And you will give your life to him. And when we pray, we are changed. You, you may not feel it at first, but you will be forgiven. You'll be a child of God, but there's more. Because it's the beginning of a lifetime of transformation where the resurrection works deeper and deeper in your heart and begins to be revealed in your entire life. Whether you have prayed the prayer or Maybe we'll pray for the first time. I'm telling you, it's just the beginning.
It's just the beginning of a long journey of growing in that relationship. My wife and I have been married for 23 years. Yes, almost. I was so close. 22. I mean, it'll be 23 in a month, so I'm almost 23 years. If you've ever been married, you understand what I'm about to say and possibly regret. My pastor used to say I've been married to five different women, and she's been every single one. <laughs> Lord, have mercy on me. But 25, 26 years ago when I met that young lady, it was just the beginning. We did not have it all figured out. We still don't have it all figured out. But every day that I grow in relationship with her, and every day as I spend time with her and I listen to her heart and she listens to mine, we get closer. And there's even a transformation that takes part, takes place rather within our own relationship. Why am I saying this this morning? I'm saying this because perhaps some of us have made the mistake of thinking that our faith in Christ is some sort of a, an instant, overnight, radical, everything is going to be different. And I'm just telling you it's not. But you have to start somewhere. Can God do radical things in your life in an instant? Absolutely. Can God change your heart in a moment? Absolutely. But the transformation process, living in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is a day-by-day -day journey, a walk of faith, a walk of surrender with Him. And I want to invite you into that. I'm going to be very, very clear. What we're talking about today is we're talking about you giving your life to Jesus. And some of you have given your life to Jesus in the past, and, and you've been walking that journey, and you're like, man, this is, this is really hitting home with me today, and man, I just, I really, I want to go just a step further, and so maybe this is a time for you to respond as well. But for some of you who are here today, uh, maybe, maybe this is just one of the few times you come to church throughout the year, which is great. I'm glad you're here. Maybe somebody invited you here, which is great. I'm glad you're here, and I want you to hear this very clearly from me today. This invitation that God has given to you is an invitation that says, come to me and give me your life. I will transform it. I will redeem it. I will restore it. I will take who you used to be and make you who I created you to be. In a moment, we'll sing a song together, and the song just says that Jesus paid it all. It's true, by the way. <laughs> he did. He paid everything. The question is, are you ready to receive it? So I'm going to invite you now, if you want to begin this journey with Jesus, 
going to ask everybody to bow your heads, please close your eyes. Just don't worry about anything going on around you, any noise, nothing. Just, just you and God. This is an invitation that God gave to us over 2,000 years ago through his son, Jesus Christ. The invitation is to receive the forgiveness that he has given us so freely. The invitation is to receive that forgiveness and step into new life. We talk about being born again. We talk about conquering the grave. That's what this is all about. Death no longer has a hold on us. No matter where you find yourself this morning, like I said a little bit ago, you might, you might feel cornered, you might feel desperate, you might feel like you don't have any, anywhere to run, but I'm telling you, the king always has one more move. So I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me this morning. Dear God, I'm a sinner and I've done some ugly things. You've promised to forgive me. And so today I receive that forgiveness because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. I believe that he is my Savior and I want to make him my Lord. So I'm inviting Jesus into my heart today. I'm accepting the invitation into the resurrection that you've given me. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look at me this morning. If you've prayed that prayer today for the first time or maybe the umpteenth time, I'm going to ask you to do something really bold in a minute. The scripture says that if we confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. So in a moment, we stand up to begin singing. If you've prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are as we sing and come right up here to this altar. Make this your public confession of faith. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Don't let the devil tell you that you're cornered, right? The king always has one more move. We're going to sing together, and then in just a few moments, we're going to celebrate baptism. What a great way to end our time together on Resurrection Sunday, amen? It's perfect today because baptism is representative of death and life. We're buried under the water. We are buried with Christ, and as we come up out of the water, we're raised to new life with Him. So we're going to celebrate multiple things today. We're going to celebrate some of us perhaps stepping into the resurrection promise. And we're going to celebrate those who are ready today to make that public display in baptism. Would you stand with me, church? We're going to sing with the team this morning.